Hi, welcome to Bread. Over the next two weeks, we're giving special attention to the stories of Jesus in the week leading up to his death and resurrection. We believe this moment changed the course of human history for all time. God continues in this personal and global trajectory-changing work by his Spirit. Take a listen. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Hello. Nice to see you all. We actually have a little bit of the liturgy just to finish, um, which involves audience participation, congregational participation. Um, So there's a little welcome. Is everyone back from the freezing cold pool? Not everyone. Okay, well, let's hold off for a minute and we'll do it. Anyway, welcome to uh, Bread Church. Um, My name's Ed. And along with my wife, Hannah, I lead this cult. And <laughs> on the subject of cults, um, I wanted to do just a little kind of paddling pool at the front here and just do low-key baptisms here. And I stupidly asked the congregation, should we do that or should we use the really weird doors <laughs> and make it look as culty as possible. And guess what the congregation said? (laughs) That's where democracy gets you. (laughs) Um, I'll let you into a little secret. Uh, I I don't love church. Um, I love it more than I used to. It's a bit of an occupational hazard for leading one. Um, Mick Jagger said, I don't like the church. The church does more harm than good. But Jesus Christ was fantastic. And it was really my experience of church growing up that put me on a path, pretty quick path, to getting as far away from it as I could. And I had these two experiences of church growing up. The first of which, I'm British, as you may guess. And I went to a British boarding school, uh, which was a bit like Hogwarts, but with less magic. We did actually wear capes, don't worry about that. Uh, And as part of my British boarding school experience, we went to chapel every day, and it was a very high experience of church, bells and smells. We all sat facing each other wearing our capes, and we had to go five times a week, every, uh, every week for five years of my life. And it was the most boring, tedious thing I could imagine. And I didn't know why we were doing it. So I thought one day I'll go and ask the priest why we're doing this, what he believes. Turns out he didn't really know why we were doing it either, which I didn't find very reassuring. That was my first experience of Christianity. My second experience was of some evangelical Christian holiday camps that my parents sent me on in the holidays. And these were like a kind of week of uh, outdoor pursuits and guilt. Uh, So in the morning we'd do rock climbing and in the afternoon being told uh, quite how disappointing we were to God and shouldn't we be better. And I left these two experiences thinking either God is just irrelevant and boring and tedious and mystical and not really approachable, or he's just angry and judgmental. And neither experience made me think I wanted much to do with him, so I took my chances and decided that was it. And then... I went to university and I studied 
um, philosophy, which gave me all the intellectual reasons I thought I needed for rejecting the whole thing. And then I moved to London and I got, work in, uh, got a job in advertising. Uh, I like to say I was fired from all of London's best advertising agencies, uh, which I was. Um, and life was great, um, but it was also a bit empty. And I remember one day having a dream where I'd been run over by a red London bus and I woke up in a cold sweat and I thought, Oh, what is going on, and it's felt like, this is very subjective, so feel free to just completely uh, discount this, but it felt like there was this voice in the room, not like an audible voice, but a voice in the room saying, Ed, what are you doing with your life? And I had no answer to that question. I knew the sort of person I wanted to marry. I knew the sort of house I wanted to have, the sort of career I wanted to have. I knew the next person I wanted to marry. I had it all planned, but I didn't actually... <laughs> didn't actually know what life was for. I didn't know what my life was for. And so I actually wrote a list of religions on a piece of paper. I thought, I'll tick these off one by one and see where we get to. I started with Christianity because it was the one I knew most about. And I ended up going to an actual proper church, an actual good one. And I walked through the doors and I remember saying to God, I don't believe in you but I'll come along, but I'm not getting involved. And then I burst into tears, and I hadn't cried for years, and I didn't know why, and I wasn't sad, and I wasn't particularly happy. I was just crying, and it felt amazing. But I'm not stupid. I've got a couple of uh, degrees from Cambridge, and I'm quite good at Wordle. And <laughs> so I'm not just going to believe something, because it feels nice. Uh, and I decided to go upon a bit of an intellectual journey of, is there any basis for this thing? And I looked into the evidence for Jesus and the evidence for the resurrection. And the more I looked into it, the more I found it compelling, which was very frustrating to me because I really did not want to become a Christian. The truth about the UK is no one really goes to church. It's not like here. And if you're a Christian, you're odd. None of my friends were Christians. When I said I started going to church, they said, they just thought I was going through a stage, going through a stage, and I would get over it. But I found it compelling, increasingly. The intellectual reasoning. The truth is, no historian worth their salt denies that Jesus Christ was a living, breathing human being who wandered around in Nazareth and Jerusalem 2,000 years or so ago. And the claims for the resurrection I found entirely compelling, very frustratingly. The thing about faith, it's not something that some people have and other people don't. We all have faith, but growing up I thought people who have faith are a bit weak and they can't get through the life without you know, believing in fairy stories. But the reality is we all have faith. We exercise it all the time. We exercise it when we get in our cars. We exercise it when we buy a coffee. We exercise it when we buy shoes, very important. We are exercising faith, particularly when we decide, oh, I might want to go out with this person or I might want to marry them. We are exercising faith because we are people of faith. The things that we can be absolutely certain about are very few. They tend to be things like two plus two equals four, but you don't want to build your life on that. And what I found was the evidence for the resurrection was compelling. And I found myself thinking, this man really was who he said he was. The tomb was empty. 
the religious authorities did not have the body. The Roman authorities did not have the body because if they did, they could have just flung the body down in the center of Jerusalem going, oh, you think he's resurrected? Well, who is this then, this rotting corpse that we just killed? But they didn't because they didn't have the body. And what they said, the disciples must have stolen the body. But the disciples were a ragtag bunch of people who had no real reason to steal the body. They had a chance to die with Jesus when he was arrested, and they all ran away because they thought this whole revolution has ended in a horrible, horrible death, and we are leaderless and listless, and we do not actually know what the future holds. To overpower Roman guards at the tomb, to pull out the corpse, to hide it, and then to proclaim he's risen, knowing full well that he's not because we've stolen the body. It just doesn't make sense. And all but one of those disciples went on as a point of history to die for their faith. People die for lots of reasons. Very few people are willing to die for something they know unequivocally is a lie because they're the ones who made it up. And so I found this quite difficult. I thought, I think it's true. And I found myself putting my faith, however small, into the hands of this Jesus who was resurrected. That was the primary reason for coming to faith. But it's not the only one. Because, as I'm sure you'll understand, we are not just rational, logical, historical beings. We have feelings. We have subjective thoughts. We have experiences. And what keeps my faith growing is hearing stories like we heard today of people's experience, personal experience of something completely outside of themselves. Let me read the account from Matthew's Gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. I've chosen not to put this on the screen because I think we're probably a bit overly familiar with it. So I wonder, we always say this, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do here. But if, you know, it's Easter, give it a go. Would you mind just closing your eyes and possibly putting yourself in the shoes, the sandals of the women who go to the tomb early on that Sunday morning when I read this to you? After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. 
There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Good morning, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You can open your eyes. Two little things. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk on for ages. Verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. This is one of my favorite details in the whole Bible. The angel sat on the stone. That stone represents no entry. You'll never change. This is your lot. It represents death. It represents defeat. It represents you're not good enough. No one cares. This is the end. The angel sat on it. I like to think he kind of swung his legs a little bit. Maybe he lit up a cigarette. (laughs) Because what it says is that stone is crushed under the feet of Jesus. That all trouble and strife, all sickness and death are not the end but that Jesus has come, has defeated death, is risen in time and space, in a moment of history, and lives by his spirit here and now, and can change the world, can change you forever. Heaven is here, and it will come. Second little detail. Suddenly, Jesus met them, verse 9. Good morning, he said. My second favorite detail. Good morning. Now, as a good British person, it's not only my birthright. It's not just my obligation and my genetic inheritance, but also it is my conscious choice to be pessimistic about almost everything. It's just very reassuring for us as British people to always think that sooner or later, things will go wrong. (laughs) You, on the other hand, you're Americans. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Because for you, you are so optimistic about everything. You're inherently the opposite, wonderfully, joyfully, Hopefully, smilingly, 
perfect teethily. <laughs> Naively optimistic about everything. It's what makes our relationship so special. On the one hand, you are perennially positive. On the other, we are always right. <laughs> but given everything that's going on in the world, I imagine all of us, wherever we come from, are having moments of questioning the future of this world. It's actually quite hard to be optimistic. And yet, Jesus' first resurrected words are good morning. Good morning. Because the resurrection, beyond everything else, speaks of hope. The hope that these five people have embarked upon, have testified to, that actually it is all going to be okay. Because Jesus has said good morning to the world, that the old has gone and the new has come. And we can enter into his rest, his life-changing power, that heaven is here now and will be forever. And that is what he, on Easter Sunday, says to the world and he says to you, it can all change. The night has gone. The day has come. Good morning. Amen. <laughs>